This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Thursday, September 8th. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Real Talk. means a lot when you download the show, when you subscribe to us on YouTube, on the podcast link. John Hicks here with me this morning, and we got a lot of ground to cover. In just a few moments, uh, we'll check in with a, a personal finance expert. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation with Lori Campbell. Uh, Lori served on the Federal Task Force on financial literacy and then joined the federal steering committee on financial literacy. And so I guess basically that's a sort of a very official way of uh, establishing that she's helped a ton of people get their finances in order, most especially when external factors influence your bottom line. So I'm not talking about you went to Las Vegas and you saw a great opportunity to double down on 11 and you lost your shirt or you went shopping uh, for new shoes at the John Fluvog boutique and you spent $4,000 that you didn't have and now you need to find a way to recover. Not what we're talking about. We're talking about when the Bank of Canada, for example, raises its overnight uh, rate by three quarters of a point, the third or fourth interest rate hike in just a few months and all of a sudden your lines of credit or your mortgage obligations are looking a whole lot more serious than they did a short time ago you know i saw some numbers crunch last night john on the national they were talking about a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage they said if you had signed up if you'd signed that five thousand or five hundred thousand dollar mortgage Earlier this year, at rates they were offering earlier this year before the back-to-back-to-back jacks in that interest rate, mm-hmm. they said that your payments would be about 1950 bucks a month. Call it two grand a month. Sure. They said if you signed that same mortgage, half a million dollar mortgage today, your payments would be three grand a month. So the monthly payments had gone up 50%. Mm-hmm. For most people, absorbing a cost increase like that is a big deal. Not feasible. Not feasible. <laughs> and so there's families everywhere going, I've got to find 300 bucks here. I've got to shave 400 bucks there. I've got to find a way to make ends meet. For a lot of you, it means that you're going to be, I hate to be the guy that's just talking about this right out of the gates, but I mean, this is real life. This is real talk. You know, for a lot of you, you're going to move from hammering away at a line of credit or at a credit or at a credit card to making minimum payments, right? There, you're you're going to be taking a back seat to gaining any progress on knocking down that debt. So Lori's going to have some great tips for us. And then later in the show, we're going to talk to uh, 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 Dr. Lorraine Thursk is a, a PhD. She's a professor of nursing out of Athabasca University, and she's been using cloud computing. I don't know anything about it, so we're all going to approach this from a learner's standpoint. But but they're crunching data. It's a new method of researching racism in healthcare and how it impacts patient outcomes. We say patient outcomes, how it impacts humans, how it impacts people's health care. And so I'm looking forward to that. We always talk about the research that's happening at Athabasca University. Here's a classic example. I know last night was a big deal at Friesen Brothers in our home city of Edmonton because they rolled out their return of these healthy inside events. Uh, you go to Friesen.com right now and you can check out, they're rolling these events out in Edmonton and Fort Saskatchewan. It's a great way to get to know your body a little bit better. How do you fuel your body and how do you maximize your healthy insights? It's $25 an event. It includes a glass of wine, a fabulous charcuterie spread, and 15% off Friesen Brothers Healthy Choice or health and beauty departments during those evenings. Bookings are open at Friesen.com. You can just look for healthy insights and you'll be able to get all of the details. Plus, Hatch chili season is coming. Authentic New Mexican Hatch chilies are in store this week. It's a really short season, and Freezer Brothers does a lot of cool stuff, including their famous roasted garlic and Hatch chili sourdough. You can check it out at 16 Freezer Brothers locations across the province of Alberta. Freezer Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. You still have a bit of time to get your tickets on Covenant Foundation Lottery. You want to get your tickets early. Don't be left waiting until the final deadline. If you're like me, 
You forget about it. It slips your mind. The deadline passes, and then you're not in the mix for this $2.2 million dream home. You go today to the website, covenantfoundationlottery.ca. You'll be able to browse this dream home, plus the other amazing prizes up for grabs. Your chance to live in life-changing luxury by calling one 944 2774 or getting your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Look at all that square feet. Do you have your tickets yet? We haven't determined I'm, whether I'm or not, not you can I'm win. not eligible. I don't think you're eligible to win. So <laughs> Maybe we can, if, if it's a real talker, when it's a real talker that wins this $2.2 million dream home, maybe they could invite us to the housewarming. Of course, the biggest story across the country has been the manhunt for fugitive Miles Sanderson. If you're watching the news, how could you miss it? I mean, obviously, everybody knows, I think, by now that after being taken into police custody mid-afternoon yesterday on the side of a highway in Saskatchewan, RCMP have confirmed that Miles Sanderson is now dead. Now, people have a lot of questions about this because he was obviously photographed there in handcuffs, very much alive, uh, heading into police custody this after he lost control of a a stolen Chevy Avalanche pickup that he was driving. Uh, Police were able to make that arrest. Obviously a ton of cruisers, uh, a police chopper in the air, as you would imagine, all hands on deck for Saskatchewan RCMP who were able to get their guy. Now, People have questions about how Miles Sanderson died. People are asking, how does this happen? Someone taken into police custody alive winds up dead. Now, there are some speculative explanations here involving perhaps fentanyl or pills, people with second or third hand information. You know, my cousin's an RCMP officer or my brother has a friend who's with the RCMP who told us that this is what they think happened. We will report the most reliable and verifiable facts on this. Uh, But right now, at this stage, the Saskatchewan's RCMP position has been relatively straightforward. Yeah, he died. He died in police custody. And of course, they're calling in the Regina Police Service. They call it uh, the the, the CERT, right? The Serious Incident Response Team. Uh, Anytime somebody dies in police custody or anytime police are involved in a, a fatality, a shooting or otherwise... The, the serious incident response team is called in uh, for an independent investigation. This yesterday is Saskatchewan RCMP commanding officer Rhonda Blackmore. Police officers surrounded the vehicle and through verbal identification confirmed the identity of the driver to be Miles Sanderson. He was arrested by police and taken into custody. A knife was located inside the vehicle. The emergency alert was cancelled at 3.50 p.m. once his identity was confirmed and he had been taken into police custody. Shortly after his arrest, he went into medical distress. Nearby, EMS were called by police to attend the scene and he was transported to a hospital in Saskatoon. He was pronounced deceased at the hospital. So pronounced deceased at the hospital now we'll learn more about what happened people obviously have a ton of questions surrounding this horrific tragedy one of the worst mass killings in canadian history and perhaps the most well not the most unfortunate thing let me check myself the most unfortunate thing is that 10 innocent people are dead murdered and 18 others are injured Mm -hmm. thousands traumatized a community devastated but now we don't have answers but there's never going to be any answer. Mm-hmm. And you think about these victims' families. You know, there, there were reports of, of one man who lost his wife and his son in these attacks, who attended the scene on the side of the highway where Miles Sanderson was arrested, where he was finally nabbed. And apparently this man, obviously still in shock, obviously his life moving forward, uh, irreparably destroyed thanking RCMP for the work that they did over the past number of days since this weekend in trying to track down this fugitive who had nearly 60 criminal convictions since his 18th birthday. Mm -hmm. The guy averaging roughly three criminal convictions a year. Now, people are going to ask, how did the parole board possibly see uh, an opportunity for rehabilitation here? The more we learn about Miles Sanderson, the, the, the domestic violence, Uh, The violent acts in front of his children, the drug and alcohol abuse, the the stabbing of family members previously. There are some people that died in these attacks that had been stabbed by Miles Sanderson previously. 
and people are trying to wrap their minds around almost every element of this story. There was a Twitter thread that caught my eye yesterday, and I'm grateful that a friend of this show, Kristen Rayworth, you remember she last spoke with us. Uh, actually, she last spoke with us on the on that hate against journalists roundtable a few weeks ago. Prior to that, she joined us from France. You remember that? Uh, Kristen's been great to this show, and, and she's not afraid to put things out there that'll make people think. And I really appreciated this thread, and I wanted to get into it just a little bit today. She said, you know, it's too soon to think of motive or reasons behind what happened in Saskatchewan, but no child comes into this world bad. No child ends up with 59 convictions brought up surrounded by love. We can judge the actions of the men while feeling pain for the children they were. Kristen says, I worked with high-risk offenders and gang members for most of my early career. Every one, every single one had experienced domestic or sexual violence growing up neglect criminals are made so we need to focus on how to stop that cycle that means prevention programming addiction counseling available on reserve therapy available on reserve affordable programs first nation policing and programming geared to men and boys on healthy relationships she said this thread isn't meant to minimize the harm and the horror of what happened, but until we look at root causes and commit to real preventative action, it will happen again. Words and prayers mean nothing. Substantive changes and funding does. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. Not a thought intended to absolve either of these brothers, and, and, and we'll learn more details about their relationship. It's, it's alleged that one brother killed the other. Not to absolve them of responsibility, but to move us forward as a society and trying to understand how can this be prevented. I responded to Kristen's mm-hmm. tweet yesterday by noting the more that I was reading about this man, the deceased, Miles Sanderson, yeah. who had been charged with multiple counts of first-degree murder. Police were hunting him. He's already charged. They mm-hmm. had the evidence to lay those charges. And there are these accounts of times he had shown up unannounced at a former partner's home, his, mm-hmm. his ex-girlfriend, his former partner. And they had five children together, and the children were in the house. And he exploded in anger. And the children had taken refuge in a bathroom, and he had punched through the door of that bathroom where these children were hiding from their dad. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think of those kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ripple effect of a tragedy how like they're this. Grow up. How are they going to grow up? And it's it's sad to see, like, even yesterday, I don't know if you saw, but there was a, there was kind of a lockdown in the north side. There was a stabbing In our incident. city of Edmonton, yeah. EPS, yeah. Janice Irwin shared uh, a post about it. And uh, the comments underneath were like, get this guy, shoot him down, end it now. It's like, it's just the wrong approach. Like, we need to get these people in alive and find out what makes them tick and what sets them off and how to prevent it right whenever so, possible yeah so so i recognize i mean to bring this back to the circumstances of uh, miles sanderson's death uh, i do understand concerns around deaths in police custody for sure and i also recognize that this was a remarkably dynamic situation with an individual that had committed heinous uh, crimes with with the maximum possible devastating impact on an entire nation. I mean, this man was the most wanted man in Canada. We'll never get some answers. Others we'll keep an eye on and we'll continue to report on this story as verifiable details become available. We're going to talk personal finances in just a second with Lori Campbell. She's director of client financial wellness at Bromwich and Smith. First, we want to let you know that these conversations happen because of amazing partners like Eden Landscaping, We cannot ignore that the temperature is going to start to drop. The leaves are going to start to fall. It happens every single year, whether we like it or not. And of course, that means a transition for the Eden team as well. As they head into fall and then into the winter months, they'll move more to the planning stages where they'll meet with their clients. The projects that they'll be embarking on next spring, they'll take a look at what you've pinned on your Pinterest boards, the magazine pages you've ripped out, the things you've saved, the ideas how you want to bring your outdoor space to life And then they'll start getting the permits ready. They'll start getting the planning ready. So by the time that that ground thaws in the spring, you're ready to rock. If you want this summer to be your last with that lousy front or backyard, today's a perfect day to check out Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you, your next special occasion, why not build a Dairy Queen cake? There's the Dairy Queen Blizzard Cake available. You go to dqcakes.com. Now, you're going to want to make sure you order it from the Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road locations. You can navigate your way through that website and build a cake that's absolutely perfect for the loved one in your life. Nothing quite like a DQ Blizzard cake, although, John, I may suggest the Treats of Pizza is a close <laughs> second. On a good day, the Treats of Pizza hits in a way that not much else does. You can get your Dairy Queen cakes from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You make sure you let them know that your friends at Real Talk sent you there. And if this is the time of year that you and your family are upgrading your computers, it's time to visit Westworld Computers in Edmonton's West End. Why? Because they're overstocked right now in M1 MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. That's the one I'm using. Absolutely love it. And so they've got a sale going on, but just for a few more days, September 11th, this weekend, that sale wraps up. Up to $379 in savings when you purchase a new M1-powered MacBook. Plus, they're extending their weekend hours. And don't forget that for the second half of the month, they've also got their Apple Business Services on feature. If you're running a business but could use some direction on the tech side, I want you to visit westworld.ca today. You can see their overstock sale selections, plus browse all their accessories. Connect, share, and create like never before with Westworld Computers at westworld.ca. Well, everybody in Canada... Probably at least those that have the biannual or the bi-monthly or the bi-weekly or however you have your payments structured, uh, the people that have those direct deposits, the people that have the, the numbers that can fluctuate from time to time and you wonder what it's going to do to your bottom line, whether or not you can take the family out for pizza dinner this Friday night or maybe it's better to tighten those purse strings. Everybody trying to figure out what it means uh, when yesterday we hear the Bank of Canada raising its overnight rate by 75 basis points, three quarters of a percent, basically. Now, since March, the bank has increased its policy rate by 300 basis points, by 3 percent, the highest levels now and the fastest pace since the mid 1990s. So, uh, you know, what are we going to do about it? That's the million dollar question. Or for some people, maybe a little bit less than that. Lori Campbell has these conversations all the time. Uh, the director of client financial wellness at Bromwich and Smith, uh, recognized as a national expert on personal finance and an advocate for consumer protection. Uh, Lori's been active over the years in, in a ton of financial literacy initiatives, among them Credit Education Week Canada. And then that prompted the federal government to roll out Financial Literacy Month. She's one of the ones that made it happen. Uh, she's on the Federal Task Force on Financial Literacy. Uh, following that involvement, joined the Federal Steering Committee on Financial Literacy. Grateful to have Lori joining us this morning. Thanks for making time for us. This has been a, a bit of a, a rude awakening for a lot of Canadians these past 24 hours, hasn't it been? Well, I'd actually say it's been a real kick in the teeth for most people for the last three years. And yeah. this is kind of as the icing on the cake. So, yes, we started out the year with uh, the Fed saying that they were going to increase interest rates over the year. But uh, this last one was a it was a painful one three quarters percent the the you know the story was it was going to be a full percentage so i guess we can be slightly happy about the fact that it was only three quarters of a percent and uh there is indication this will be the last one of 2022 but we're not out of the woods we know that inflation's still very high which is one of the reasons that they um you know started implementing these these uh interest rates over the last six to eight months the uh, the full percent raise. I mean, that was the last time. That was one prior to this. This one, three quarters of a point. I seem to remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. I seem to remember like a quarter point or, or a half point used to be a, yeah, a big like deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A quarter of a point. We we all go mad and say, oh no, what's going on? And don't forget. Uh, you know, in the last five years, if not longer, we've had very little of any interest rate increases and you know people are, are freaking out about it but at the same time we have had is his unusually historical uh low rates of interest in canada and across the world so it's not a huge surprise is it yeah well i mean i guess not although when, when something's going well you always want it to go well for as long as humanly possible uh before we start getting into the implications for people and maybe some next steps 
uh, for folks that quite rightfully are, are going, I, I literally don't know how I'm going to meet yeah. my payment obligations on, on floating or variable rates. What insight do you have on what's prompting this? I, I've heard like global conflict, commodity prices. Well, definitely global conflict. There's no doubt that oil oil increase, oil prices are going through the roof because of the war in Russia and uh, Ukraine. So that is a definite uh, situation. The other thing we have to remember, though, is we're coming out of a pandemic where supply of items was was limited. I mean, wood, like some of the supplies went through the roof, uh, such as or the cost went through the roof, such as wood, uh, obviously oil, and you know groceries. So now we're in a situation where there's still low supply in some areas, but this inflation uh, has hit record levels as it did in July. And let's top it off with the fact that we also have a situation where as these prices increase, such as groceries, let's take a look at them. We're also seeing shrinkflation. So we're seeing individuals in a situation where they go to the grocery store, something they bought a year ago is now three quarters of the size, but they're saying paying the same amount for that product. Okay, so people, we talk about like within people's households, these uh, microeconomic recoveries, right? There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's the really big picture. Here's, the what, macro, the, here's yeah. what the nation's going to do, or here's what we hope that the global markets are, are going to do. But people starting yesterday, or, or maybe if they were ahead of the game a little bit before that, are, are starting to sit down with pencil and paper around the table and say, where are we going to find two or three or five or 800 bucks a month, right? It- Exactly, because the average cost per Canadian household is going to be about $400. So if yeah. you've got a huge mortgage, let's face it, your your costs are going to be astronomical compared to that. So people are going to have to sit around the kitchen table, find out where this money is coming from, and find out how they can cut back. I mean, you know, there's going to be some tough decisions Canadians are going to have to make over the next year. So that's kind of the point in a way, right? Like the Bank of Canada is trying to sort of pump the brakes on inflation a little bit. They're 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 essentially trying to get people to, in a way, like stop spending, right? Yeah. Well, and and think about it. It seems so bizarre. We just came out of a pandemic where nobody was spending, right? Mm-hmm. You think about it. We nobody was going to. I mean, in certain areas of Canada, things were locked down for months. So nobody was going anywhere. And that was an interesting dichotomy here is that people were actually saving money during that time. Now, it is a bit of a kick in the teeth to say, yeah, now that we're out of the pandemic, um, we will definitely, definitely, uh, you know, be, I guess, scarred to a certain degree because we now have to cut back. All those restaurants and all those travel uh, opportunities that we now have, we might not be able to take advantage of. Okay, so, uh, I mean, worst case scenario, we may have insolvencies. We may have, I'm not trying to be like the sky is falling here right now. So feel free to jump in. But I'm just, I was referencing a report I saw last night on the national where they said a, a half a million dollar mortgage, which if you're in Vancouver or Toronto, you're going, what's a half million dollar mortgage, right? I yep. mean, imagine if it's 2 million, but a half right. million dollar mortgage has cost 50% more, uh, 3000 a month on average now than it did at the beginning of this year, $2,000 a month. So for a lot of people, they simply can't take that one. Uh, you may have vehicle, exactly. right? People might be handing in the keys to their vehicles. People might be walking away from lines of credit looking to declare bankruptcy. I mean, what would you say to people that are at that point of seriousness right now? It's it's a tough situation, but I first of all think first thing I'd say is you're not alone. Mm. I mean, let's be real. A lot of people are struggling right now, Ryan, and we know that there's people uh, that really may have to turn in their car. They may, you know, they may have to downsize to one vehicle. They may have to look at taking public transit to work. Um, I fear that with this, you know, interest rate increase with inflation still very high, that we're going to see. A number of people that are house poor, and what I mean by that is, is that they everything they have is going into their house uh, to pay for their house costs. And then what happens in that situation is people start to rely on credit to make ends meet, and that's where you, as you mentioned, insolvencies or consumer proposals will be on the rise. Okay, so with regards to uh, plans of attack <laughs> that people yes. will make right now. I, I, some people are, are going to say we can't afford to do the weekend at this destination. Some people are going to say we're going to we're going we're going to cancel kind of the extraneous like you know Tuesday wine night with the girlfriends or the guys are going to maybe cancel those plans to go play those last couple rounds of golf. They go we save two hundred bucks here, we save two hundred bucks oh, there. Oh, I know, I know, right? I know. And, 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 and uh, by the way, on a side note, this is bad for all the businesses. I exactly I re- they've gone through so much during COVID. Uh, like let's face it, how many businesses 
businesses have gone under during COVID. <laughs> Too saying, many. Now the government's saying, put on the brakes, don't spend any money. So, I mean, next thing you know, we'll have to cancel Christmas. And I <laughs> I hate to be Scrooge, but, no, you know, I mean, people are going to have to think, you know, if they spent thousands of dollars last year on Christmas, they are not going to be able to spend anything near that this year. Yeah. And, you know, it, it does mean canceling plans. It does mean perhaps that vacation that you were thinking about, you might have to put on the back burner for now. If you don't have an emergency fund in place, you need to get one because there's nothing worse than having to rely on credit because your roof uh, needs to be repaired or you have to rely on credit because your car breaks down. So, I mean, and I, the reason I say that, Ryan, is that interest rates on credit cards are tw- between 19 and 29.9%. What a crazy amount of money to be paying if you're only paying the minimum payment. Yeah, but th- so I, people often talk about debt consolidation and I know that typically, and again, I am not giving financial advice. Uh, Real talkers, never take your financial advice from me. Don't ever listen to me and dictate your finances from my gut instincts because, Lori, I have this uh, remarkable ability to be wrong again and again and again. But I do understand the value in consolidating debt. Right now, though, I mean, does a consumer, uh, if you're not the big bank, does a consumer have any leverage? What's the right way to do it? I mean, if you're refinancing your house right now, it's a dangerous time to do it, isn't it? Well, if you are refinancing your house and you have 19.9% plus interest rates on these other credit vehicles, yeah, it would make sense to incorporate that into your mortgage if you have some equity in your home. What is concerning is the banks are really pushing back because they they are seeing the values of homes perhaps uh, you know, going down. And so how much equity do you really have right now? And if you're looking for a consolidation loan outside of your mortgage or you don't have a home, it's going to be very difficult. The banks are also seeing the possibility of higher delinquencies. And this generally will happen when interest rates climb and inflation has been, as we saw in July, at a fairly high level, uh, more than 40 years. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Do you have three more minutes? Of course. Okay. Uh, I know we're running into overtime, and I know that you, you probably are doing a lot of interviews this morning. But I wanted to ask you, and and here because I know you're representing a big firm, and you're going to go, you're going to go, Jespo. I don't want to get political, but I do want to ask you about the sure. response from the federal government. Approach it how you will, but but your take on this. This is a comment yesterday uh, from the deputy prime minister, of course, minister of finance. This is uh, Christian Freeland following the announcement from the Bank of Canada that interest rates are going up again. This is a challenging global environment economically. We are still dealing with the aftershocks of the COVID recession. We now have Putin's invasion of Ukraine causing huge challenges for the global economy, principally Europe, but that has an impact on all of us. And Canada is not immune to these challenges. What Canada has, though, going into these challenges is really strong economic fundamentals. We have this year the strongest growth in the G7. We have this year lowest debt and deficit in the G7. And inflation is elevated in Canada, but compared to our poor our peer countries, it's lower. Inflation in Canada is lower than in the UK, in the US, in Germany, in the Eurozone. And I think all of us were pleased to see the July number receding a little bit from the June number. So I don't want to understate the challenge ahead, but I do want us, as we go into it, to also, as a country, have the confidence that comes from the strength of our foundations. Okay, so she's she's, she's trying to find the silver lining. She's trying to be optimistic. Yeah. You know, Canada's not... It, it, as bad as some of the other G7s. <laughs> Do you find any reason for optimism there? I mean, a lot of people, their their, their stomachs are in knots right now. They are, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, well, I, you know, my situation is not as bad as your situation, but that doesn't make my situation good. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, you know, and, and you mentioned on a micro level, that's that's fine, say, on a macro level, you know, we're, we're hanging in there and we're, we're going to survive this, but the fallout has yet to be seen. And this is what I really, truly believe, Ryan, is that we're going to see fallout. We're going to see higher insolvencies. We're going to see, uh, you know, some serious housing issues with the, the drop in housing prices in, in, in uh, urban areas. And some might say, well, that's a correction in the market. So be it. It still affects and impacts individuals on a very, very, very uh, uh, individual level, which could 
result in financial distress for them in a huge way. Let me ask you strategy-wise, uh, one of our audience members watching us live right now, Brenda, says she's heard that uh, consumer proposals are a better play than bankruptcy. I don't even know what that is. Can, can you shine some light here? I mean, if, if folks are really in a situation where their back is against the wall and they're not right. seeing a lot of options, what would you advise them to do specifically? Well, first of all, uh, Brenda's right. You know, a consumer proposal might be a better option than a bankruptcy, dependent upon the situation. And the important thing here, right, is to go to a licensed insolvency trustee. Don't go to any fly-by-night company that says that they can fix your credit rating or then give you a loan at some astronomical price to get rid of your debt. Go to the right source, which is a license. And I say licensed by the federal government and regulated by the federal government. So that's number one. Number two is to, you know, if, if you feel like you're financially stressed, that's where you need to see whether a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy is better for you. If you have assets, a consumer proposal might be better because you might be able to reduce your debt by up to 80% and still hold on to some of your assets. So only a licensed insolvency trustee can go through that process, help you with it, and make sure that you get the right solution at the other end. Lori Campbell, Director of Client Financial Wellness at Bromwich and Smith. You can follow her and them on Twitter. We link to all the accounts from our official one, Real Talk RJ, every morning before the show. Thanks for making time for us. My pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. I know it's a difficult conversation for a lot of people. You know, you're listening to this and your mortgage just went up like $400 every two weeks and you're like, perfect. Like, what now? Right. And I get it. Uh, we're in the same boat. We're all in this together, my friends. I mean, unless you're you're one of the lucky ones who's able to hammer that mortgage down and pay it off who's early. Lucky? I and don't it's, know. It's crazy because it does affect everyone. Like she's talking yeah. about the housing prices coming down, and some people are like, "Great, I can afford a house." But what about the people who already have a house and now it's going to be worth less? You know, of I mean? course. So it's like. It's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And it's even like, if you are shopping for houses right now and trying to get into that housing market, the mortgage rates that they're offering, you are not anywhere near yeah. where they would have been you know, nine months ago, six months ago, three mm-hmm. months ago, or three days ago, mm-hmm. right? So it's a big deal. And then, of course, we're going to hear from people that make very good and fair and valid points that will say, when I bought a house in the 1980s, my mortgage was 19% or my mortgage was 21%. And you can't even wrap your mind around that. Like like Lori just said, she's like, you know, the interest rates were, I mean, if you look at it, I think that the overnight rate is it's uh, three and a quarter percent right now, right? Yeah. 3.25% right now. Like it it was 0.25% several months ago. I know. Which is wild. Yeah. Right. I won't say free money because that's kind of really dumbing it down, but it's it's not a lot. We became accustomed to to being able to borrow more than perhaps some of us should. I don't want to come on this I and be everyone like podium or pedestal or preacher guy. Yeah, uh, but you know, people were really bitching about these mortgage stress tests. They were pissed off that they had to pass the stress test. Right, because this is what the federal government was. And by the way, news on the federal government. The prime minister says he's running again. Remember, we talked about this yesterday with mm-hmm. Philippe Fournier. Will Trudeau take the party into the next election? Yesterday, like an hour after our conversation, Boom. says he's staying on for the next election. Interesting. Uh, the prime minister is announcing a, a dental plan, a federal dental plan today in Vancouver uh, for low-income families across the country. So that's a story we're keeping an eye on. Part of his deal with the NDP. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, dental care, and they want a national pharmacare as well. And the pharmacare one might Let's be a little them- bit tougher to swing because some of the provinces, including Ontario, most especially Alberta, have already said we're not sure we're interested in that. So he gave them the easy one. Yeah, give them the easy <laughs> one. Free dental care for low-income families. Who's going to fight that one? Um, but yeah, this is kind of kind of an interesting scenario to be in because you know the stress test. A lot of people were saying, well, you know, the, the federal government's trying to cool real estate trends in the big cities like Vancouver, where it's like two million dollars for a knockdown, right? Or, or Toronto, where it's like people that are trying to work in downtown Toronto, young professionals can't even afford to live within an hour of the city. So the federal government tries to get involved. A lot of people don't think that the federal government should be involved in the markets. I know I'm opening up a can there. And so they introduced this stress test that basically says, in layperson's terms, you got to qualify for a mortgage that's a couple of points higher than just, what this mortgage is now, just in case interest rates mm-hmm. rise. And people would say, well, why, why would inter- interest rates start going to rise? Give me my mortgage. Give me my house. Yeah, but sir, that house is like nine hundred and seventy-five thousand, and you're making a hundred and five thousand a year, and like that's a really heavy mortgage for you. Mm-hmm. I want it. Four bedrooms, five bathrooms, backyard we for the all kids. Want that. And then what happens? You get into the house, and guess what? Interest rates go up by three percent. And you're upside down. And you're upside down in this house. 
I feel the pain, friends. We're impacted like this, just like everybody else. Like to, to shine a light on our personal situation, we literally renewed our mortgage yesterday. I told you we were going to do it. Didn't get the greatest deal. Can you tell? Decided to. Can, can you tell this is on my Let's mind? Do a show on it. I'm not going <laughs> to drop numbers. I'm just going to tell you we're paying a lot more now than we were before. And I'm smiling and I'm laughing so I don't cry. But what are we going to do about it? I'm in the boat with you. If you have thoughts on this, maybe it's a trash talk for tomorrow. This cathartic exercise. You need to just get something off your chest. Or or maybe it's more measured input. Uh, thoughts, musings you'd like to share with Real Talkers. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us that email. In just a second, we'll talk to an Athabasca University professor, a researcher who's doing amazingly important work. Uh, exploring and trying to better understand racism in healthcare. Dr. Lorraine Thursk, our guest. We haven't even really mentioned the queen yet, by the way. Yeah, uh, the queen is under what they're calling medical supervision, uh, but all family hands on deck. Uh, it sounds like all of her kids, including Prince Andrew, by the way, traveling to Balmoral in Scotland uh, to see the queen. I won't say anything or speculate before it happens, but when a 96-year-old is under medical supervision and the entire family is coming to visit... Draw from that what you will. Okay. Well, Athabasca University, we tell you about it all the time. I mean, it's Canada's online university. You already know that. Why do tens of thousands of post-secondary students across the country trust Athabasca University to further their career, to deepen their understanding of fields that are capturing their interest that could provide new opportunities? Well, it's because the world-class accredited online programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle the kids are home from school maybe there's an unanticipated illness you need to take a couple of weeks off no big deal right you want to maybe go on a family vacation get away through the winter months maybe you're going to be traveling or on the road maybe you need a mental health break you're not going to fall behind in your studies at athabasca u because you are determining the pace of your studies. It's a perfect fit. They have thousands of opportunities. They've got these micro courses all the way up to the fully accredited degree programs, research opportunities too. Your best step forward could be a visit today to AthabascaU.ca. It's Canada's online university. That's where Dr. Lorraine Thursk is an assistant professor and registered nurse in the Faculty of Health Disciplines at Athabasca University, she's studying how nurses develop trusting relationships with patients and families, and this has ultimately led to an exploration of how bias has affected nurses' decision-making and ultimately patient outcomes. Uh, Dr. Thirsk, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks so much for making time for us this morning. Yes, thank you, Ryan. So people hear about systemic racism in healthcare. We've had conversations on the show before. We know that it is a thing. Why is it so important to you personally? Why have you dedicated so many of your research efforts to this specific field? Um, probably a number of reasons, but um, I think starting back into my interest in studying how nurses develop those relationships, um, early on, like eight years ago in some of our exploratory work, we uncovered this um, idea of an attribution bias and how nurses make judgments about why patients and families are doing the things that they're doing. So, for example, you know, if you have somebody who has diabetes, they need to follow a particular eating plan and exercise plan and take their medication. And we noticed nurses were making sometimes judgments about people, they're non-compliant and they don't listen to me and they're, they're lazy and those kinds of things. But then we found some other nurses were like really good at digging in there and finding out what's happening in your life. Like what is going on in your broader context that's making this more difficult for you to, to do these things that we as healthcare providers are telling you to do. And so that got me looking in, in bias and, and that's called an attribution bias. It's a cognitive bias. And um, I was really fascinated by this, um, this idea of bias and nursing practice. So I started to explore it more. Um, and then of course, I think in, in the last few years, there have been a lot of cases in the news, a lot of reports across Canada and the world about this problem with systemic racism. And so um, I started to look at, well, from a nursing perspective, I'm a nurse, um, I'm interested in what nurses do in their practice. And so, what are we doing as nurses? What could we do better? What's going on? Um, and so that's 
that's really driving me. Um, yeah. And I, I, I guess from a personal perspective, you know, I've developed some close relationships with other nursing academics who identify from racialized groups and, and working with them, this just seems like the most important topic. I know all researchers think that their research is the most important topic, um, but it, it does seem like it is, it is um, something really worthwhile doing. So I guess that drives me to to look at this more. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think, and, and, and I like that, that, that your, your chuckle reiterates to me, we don't need to start stacking up whose research is more important because every researcher can make the point that their research is the most important, but yours is particularly significant because number one, it impacts professionals working in healthcare, right? Or would be professionals working in healthcare. And it also impacts patients. And really, who doesn't interact with the healthcare system? We're talking about millions of Canadians and people around the world for that matter, impacted by this systemic issue, right? Yeah. And I think um, you know, we we don't yet have a really good understanding of the particulars in the healthcare system. So how specifically is this showing up when you go to the hospital? What things are we doing to actually improve these outcomes? Um, but I think that there's enough um, evidence thus far to say that this is a problem, it is affecting outcomes, and we really need to get some better data to understand it better. Can you give us, before we start getting into some of the research, uh, you know, some of the results, the early results anyway, the conclusions you've been able to draw or, or perhaps where it's steering your research moving forward, can you tell us how you were conducting the research? I, I was reading about cloud computing, and my understanding here is that there's some pretty innovative stuff happening at Athabasca. Yeah, oh, sometimes it's a little bit over my head. And so uh, this just isn't about me. I do have a team of really great people behind me helping me to do this. Um, yeah, so I started off as a qualitative researcher, and I'm really interested in language and what language can reveal about our beliefs and our attitudes. Um, so I started doing that in qualitative research, and then I came across this database of electronic health records. So it's hospital charts from an intensive care unit in the Boston area. It's actually several intensive care units in this, um, in this hospital system. And they have made their data freely and openly available. It's de-identified, so all the names and identifying characteristics are removed. But they have this massive database that's available. And so through Athabasca University and their amazing digital infrastructure um, and research support, I was able to access this database and start to explore how is bias showing up in these charts? And is this kind of big data that we have sitting in these electronic health records a place for us to look and to monitor what's happening with things like bias in the healthcare system. So that's what that's what we've started doing. One specific thing that we are interested in is looking at the language that healthcare providers, so nurses, physicians, social workers, physiotherapists, the type of language that they're using when they're writing in those charts or typing in the charts, I guess they're electronic now. Um, so what kind of language are they using? And can that reveal something about their judgments towards the patients and perhaps some biases towards the patients? Hmm. Um, and then that enables us to track better the outcomes. So when you look at patient outcomes, such as um, mortality and length of stay and those types of things, we can look at those big outcomes and see um, if those things are, are related. Um, you know, I, I, it's never lost on me and I always like to state it plainly so people recognize I'm aware of it when I'm talking about racism as like a privileged white dude uh, that I have my own perspective. But, but one thing I've noticed, even in, in candid or casual conversations with my friends off the record, off camera, when you talk about things like systemic racism, uh, I mean, heck, I was talking to Supriya Devetti, uh, my partner in podcasting, just last week, and she was playing a clip of Bob Fife, a, a parliamentary commentator out of Ottawa a while ago, saying, you know, the liberals are going to look into systemic racism, but it's not a thing. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He says, if you look on university campuses, there's like Chinese kids hanging out with black kids, hanging out with white kids. There's no systemic racism. And it was really this like shallow end of the pool kind of understanding of what we're talking about here. And I do think it's important to note that that when you talk about systemic racism, you're not talking about like Ku Klux Klansmen at the door of the hospital. It's not obvious and mm -hmm. abrasive and and, 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 and and for that matter, confrontable all the time, right? For a lot of things, it's like subtle 
and pervasive and and it, and it's probably flying under the radar of a lot of people like quite frankly doc you and me right Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, one of the, the ways that we frame that in our research is to talk about implicit biases. And these are the things there are, they're under your conscious awareness that you are making these stereotypical judgments about people. And that can be related to their racial identity, uh, sex, gender, weight, uh, physical or mental health conditions, age, those types of things. And when we talk about implicit bias, we're unaware of it. That is why it's called implicit and not explicit bias, right? So we're not yeah. we're not talking about really overt, um, um, blatant racism, but those things that happen under our radar. So me as a nurse, if I see you know a male versus a female patient, and I just automatically assume that the male patient can handle his pain better, and I don't need to give him as many pain medications as I do the female patient, right? So. I don't even know that I'm making that judgment or that that's the rationale for my judgment. And that's how implicit biases work so quickly. And they're part of our our really super fast, efficient thinking systems where we instantaneously make a judgment about something. And um, those those are efficient ways. And we we need those um, those quick thinking systems to get us through our day. But they can be prone to error. And I think that's what we're trying to understand is how much of those judgments are erroneous and and if they are flying under the radar, sometimes even education doesn't help to correct them. So I can learn all about implicit biases and study racism, and I may still make a judgment about somebody from a, a racialized group that I'm unaware of, that I don't realize that that is, is leading me to that decision. And so that's when we need to look at other ways to um, overcome and prevent this and develop systems that don't just rely on, you know, people being good and and having having good education to be able to overcome this, these judgments and, and these erroneous decisions that we're making. When it comes to like just real life people, uh, you know, what's your research telling you about specific groups that, that may be most marginalized? Do you have demographic research? Is it, would it be indigenous people in Canada? Would, would it be elderly, first generation Canadian? Like, is there, is there one area where you go, wow, this group is particularly, uh, w- w- when it comes to patient outcomes or ideal outcomes in Canada, this group, we're partic- you know, we're, we're consistently missing the mark. Yeah, I think you can see that. So that hasn't come across clearly in the research that we're doing yet because we don't really have good data. But if you look at the larger population level health health outcomes, um, you do have things like uh, the Manitoba Center for Health Policy came out with a report a couple of years ago showing that the First Nations people in Manitoba are, are actually having worsening health outcomes. So when you look at big population, I'm talking like statistics Canada levels of Um, examining health outcomes. We do know that, for example, Indigenous people have poorer health outcomes in Canada than than the the rest of the population. When I'm talking about like the data that we're seeing in the hospitals, this is where um, we're running into some problems in Canada. So right now, across Canada, there's no standard way to collect race-based identifiers. Um, And in Alberta, this is one of the things in our next project that we're going to try to um, see what we can find and what we can do for workarounds. And hopefully there's some advocacy going on to start disaggregating that data so that we can track hospital admissions better and we can track those actual um, more complex things um, more accurately in the health system to find out what is happening with these um, these people who are who are from racialized groups. Hmm. I I hosted a. Uh, a, a public forum several months ago, and it, it was it was about a different crisis in healthcare. It was, it was about the opioid the opioid crisis, and, and obviously a heartbreaking and very important conversation. Anyway, uh, what came out of that? I was having a conversation with a health researcher, and, and he was lamenting the fact that it's very difficult. And a lot of this is due to like privacy policies and things like. I mean, there's a lot of factors at play. We don't have all the time to get into them. He was lamenting the fact that he really had access to very little data. And I'm hearing mm-hmm. the exact same thing from you. You're, mm-hmm. you're like, we don't have the data we need. So so without sacrificing patient privacy and, and all things considered, how do we get researchers like you that are working very important files better data? <laughs> that is a great question. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think so to start with, so the database that I have from the US actually has, um, they have different standards for their data that they collect. So I do have some more information about the different um, groups 
So I can I can start with that data and see where we're going, see what we might be able to find out. Um, I am going to start a project here in the fall where I'm going to work closely with Alberta Health Services and how it's the arrangements here are a little bit different. I kind of have to give the internal analyst my ideas and my analysis plan and they will will access the data and run our analysis. British Columbia has a little separate um, method for doing that. Um, if you're if you're a researcher in British Columbia, you are allowed into their firewall to look at that data within their firewall. So there is definitely some work being done across Canada to get us better access to data. But even when we get into the existing data, um, for example, with the electronic health record that's rolling out across Alberta um, right now, um, we don't know how good the data is to collect those race-based um, identifiers. So we don't know if they're actually collecting those pieces yet. Um, in the system, the Calgary has had an electronic health record in their hospitals for over a decade. And in the system that they were currently using, there is no, um, is no collection or disaggregation of that data. So it's going to be a little bit tricky. We're hoping we can still um, find out a little bit of information about, about what's going on with other implicit biases and how, how people are being differentially treated, but it is an issue. So um, I think it's something that, that people are aware of. The Canadian Institute of Health Information came out a couple of years ago with guidelines for how to collect this type of information. So it's coming. Um, I just wish it was coming sooner. I wish it was already already there. Yeah. It's probably pretty obvious for me to suggest that representation is important, right? Like representation with regards to, I mean, in particular, we should note that you're an assistant professor and RN in the Faculty of Health Disciplines. So let's say representation in nursing, representation with the doctors that were graduating, the, the researchers, not just the patients, but, but how important, I mean, it sounds like an obvious question, but how important is representation in the hospitals, in the care facilities? facilities. Mm -hmm. And uh, sorry, just to clarify, you mean what kind of diverse group of nurses do we have? Exactly. Like yeah, how, how important yeah. is it to, to have young indigenous, uh, you know, the, the, these, these bright, talented young learners interested in fields like nursing and, and other, you know, medical fields? Yeah, yeah. Um, I It is very important. And I actually have a colleague in the Faculty of Health Disciplines. I'll just give a little shout out to Dr. Kate Leslie who does workforce planning and has been very involved on the national and international stage at uh, trying to track that better, better data for those to, to find out, you know, how many Indigenous nursing students do we have in our program? Not enough. Um, it doesn't reflect the general population. Of, um, and so um, what do we need to do in terms of uh, making those more accessible and um, safer programs as well, decolonizing our programs? to attract um, people from a diverse range of, of groups. Mm. We, uh, I'm, I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm gonna say this. We, we, uh, we, we have a scholarship that we give away every single year. We're actually gonna be announcing the scholarship recipient a week from tomorrow. So I don't wanna give away too much, but I can let people know that she's a nursing student. Um, she's a, just a, a remarkable young person. And, um, and, and the more that we've corresponded with her and come to a better understanding, it sounds to me like the nursing field right now remains extremely competitive uh, with regards to people enrolling, people wanting to pursue careers in nursing. This despite trends that we see, I mean, the, you know, the provincial ministers of health and others have confirmed that there are nursing shortages, that they're trying their best to recruit people from out of province. We see Alberta's premier doing this all the time, the whole calling BC thing. Uh, don't worry, I won't ask you to get political. Uh, but, but but I'm curious to know what you're observing um, with regards to, to interest in, in the field of nursing and the so-called next generation of, of nurses. What, what do you note? Oh, what do I know? I, I do know I work with um, uh, so undergraduate students who are getting their bachelors of nursing to become registered nurses. Most of them are working as licensed practical nurses right now. Right. And they're seeing that there are other additional opportunities and they want to advance their career. So we have that group of people. And we also have a group of, of people who have been nurses for a while and they're doing their master's degree and whether they want to get into teaching or leadership or pursue research. Um, they are burnt out. I mean, the pandemic has been hard on people. And um, so I it is, we do need more nurses. It is still really competitive to get in. You're talking about really high grades out of high school to get into the, the traditional, um, you know, universities for nursing programs. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Athabasca University is a little bit different. We have a little bit different cohort of nursing students and hopefully are trying to make this 
type of education more accessible, mm. allowing people to advance their education and advance their degrees. Can um, you can you explain to us a little bit the difference? I mean, let, let me be honest, like, obviously people know this, like Athabasca University sponsors this show. Uh, like, that's not a secret. Uh, but we consider our sponsors, right? We don't stamp our name on, on just anybody. And I think that the model of Athabasca University and what it offers and the outcomes we've heard from people that have studied there, including personal friends of mine, are really incredible. So, so for people that might be interested in nursing, you know, a bunch of them are going to be specifically watching this segment. How does AU's approach differ? Yeah, so <laughs> just a little plug for our program sure. here. Um, Why not? Yeah, the thing that I love about AU and most of our faculty who work there, we we get on board with our vision and mission, right? We are accessing um, student populations that would not otherwise be able to obtain university education, and that is really neat. I mean, we're we're um, working with students who, you know, they may, maybe went through a one-year licensed practical nursing program somewhere in Canada. They want to advance their degree, but you know, they live in a rural area. They cannot uplift their whole family to move to the next biggest city to find a bricks and mortar university, but they want to move on and get their degree. And you know, their community needs the registered nurses and they need this advanced education. Um, and so AU allows them to, in a flexible manner that fits with their life to pursue that additional education. Um, and um, additionally, in our nurse practitioner program, you know, we have we have graduated the largest percentage of nurse practitioners from our program at Athabasca University. And, and just that flexibility in online learning, the fact that we're across Canada um, makes it really easy for um, I shouldn't say it's an easy program, but it makes it more accessible for nurses across Canada to get that education. Doctor, we're grateful that this research is happening and uh, especially grateful that you've made yourself available to talk to us today. Thanks for making time for us and look forward to connecting with you again. Great. Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. That's uh, Dr. Lorraine Thursk uh, out of Athabasca University. She's an RN assistant professor in the Faculty of Health Disciplines. Love it. That's important stuff. Um, also grateful for our live chat and uh, the questions that have been and some of the anecdotes and the comments that have been shared there. Um, this from Sharon, who's been such a wonderful friend of the show, uh, actually got to meet Sh Sharon. You and I have plans to grab coffee. What are we even doing? Uh, Sharon and I met at a, a live event, a live recording of The Strategists, which is uh, one of my favorite podcasts. I love to listen to it. And uh, Sharon and I hugged like we've known each other for 30 years. Anyway, she says, ask you got to ask Dr. James McCokus about this subject. Uh, she says uh, he would be a great guest. It's hard when you have white people talking about this subject. And Sharon, I can totally appreciate where you're coming from. Um, and this is on our radar, right? It's not lost on me. And I try to state it in the interview. I go, this is two white people that are talking about this. And uh, but also I think three white people. Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> I do also think it's important that white people talk about this, uh, but not exclusively, 100%. not exclusively. No. Uh, so let me remind you, I can't believe we're coming up on a year already. But if you go back into our archive, you'll you'll find uh, uh, Dr. James McCocus was last on the show coming up. Uh, it was on a year. I can't believe it. September 30th, 2021. And uh, just a fabulous conversation. Uh, this guy is just, uh, where do I begin with him? Uh, one of the most remarkable people you you'll ever meet. And um, so you can check our archives podcast or YouTube uh, September 30th, 2021. Dr. James McCocus was our guest. And also, if, you, if you're in our archives, uh, Dr. Bukala Salami is doing a lot of uh, she's a Ph.D. in nursing as well, has done a lot of work on racism in healthcare. And on May 5th of 2021, we spoke with Dr. Bukala Salami. So uh, May 5th of 2021, September 30th of 2021. And then, of course, today. So uh, an ongoing conversation. And we want to approach this from as many angles as possible. We welcome. Welcome all of your feedback and your comments, of course, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I didn't tell you this yesterday. I had a lunch date, John, with our friends at Apex Automation. You knew I'd get jealous. Yeah, I knew you would get jealous. <laughs> I was picking up sandwiches. I had uh, over because they said, I know, but they said, uh, they and, and, and I'm going to bring, I'm going to rub it in your face in a way because I'm going to ask you to prepare some video for us for next week because they let me go. Of they the took, lunch? They took me, not of the lunch, my friend. I wouldn't do Torture that to me. you. I wouldn't do that. To, <laughs> Here's I would, what we ate. I would bring you a sandwich, then I would tell oh, you about okay. the lunch. Yeah, so, so people, it, it, working on an empty stomach, the jealousy there would be no bueno. Horrible. 
But the team at Apex says, hey, listen, we, we've been putting out the call for engineers across the country. They're, they're hiring the best and the brightest, the most motivated, the most skilled, the most talented, the people people, if you will. Mm. They said, but, but how much do you know actually about automation and what we do? And my answer was like, maybe not a ton. And so I went out to their West End facility and they toured me around. And in particular, they had their software and electrical engineers, John, working on a new program, software they're writing for a SAG-D facility. And I'm going to show you the, 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 the video footage uh, next week. Fascinating stuff, getting these systems to operate. I said, what else do you do? They go, well, we, we, we work in potash mines and breweries and, and, and manufacturing facilities and, and all kinds of businesses. Apex is giving people back their time. They're taking the humans out of the boring, mundane, and dangerous jobs and allowing everybody a better quality of life, including their own employees. Your new career, your next move, might start with a visit today to apexautomation.ca. We're so proud to partner with them. You know, all this talk about cost of living and, and costs on the rise and Canadians going through the exercise today, and I know it's a painful one, the pencil and the paper's out and you're trying to find a way to save money. <laughs> save yourself a whole lot of pain and take five minutes to go to parkpower.ca right now. Now, we know that utility rates, a lot of them have been really sky high. Park Power's got you covered with the fixed rates, the variable rates. You can compare your rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet today. If you're like real talkers, I mean, Jill is one off the top of my head. She wrote in and she said, oh my gosh, when we switched over to Park Power, the only thing I'm wondering is why didn't I do it sooner? She's saving money every single month on administrative costs because she bundled all the services together. Plus, of course, you know, the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill, no strings attached, at parkpower.ca. I hope that that resonates with one of you. I know that at least one of you out there right now is going, I know I got to do that. Just do it! And once you're signed up with Park Power, why not get in touch with Kubi Energy as well? You know, they partner together. Kubi's putting solar panels on roofs across Western Canada with their Tesla certified installers. More people now than ever before because the federal government has this $40,000 interest-free loan available. It's the Canada Greener Homes Grant. Kubi's the expert on it. They do all the paperwork for you. Interest-free opportunity to go sustainable, to go green on your home front. In the summer months, when your system's providing more power than you need, you sell it back to Park Power, and they're going to pay you more than the big guys do. Guaranteed. Get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Our friends at Local Environmental Services include, of course, services in Alberta and Saskatchewan. We're reminding you that this family-owned business for more than a quarter century has been providing better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you're dealing with local waste, there's an issue, or you want to get ahead of something, you call the number, a real human's going to answer the phone and talk to you. You're not going to an international call center. They're not going to take 20 minutes to get through the switchboard. It's real people keeping it local. Let them show you how they can help by requesting a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. And don't forget, Trash Talk coming up tomorrow, presented by Local Environmental Services. had to let the studio band wrap that one up <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to work on a trash talk this week would you have one coming we've got a very diverse lineup a very diverse offerings of trash talk submissions this week including one from a fella mm -hmm. jerry i remember his name because his email is absolute mm -hmm. fire jerry puliev jerry <laughs> jerry puliev <laughs> and his brother jeff both wrote into the show jerry was at the motley crew concert oh at Commonwealth Stadium I in Edmonton. So many, I got that's you're talking about jealous about the lunch. I was jealous about that. Yeah. And, and well, Led this Zeppelin guy. And, you know. Oh, my God. This or, is, sorry. <laughs> not, Def Leppard. I'm like, wait a second. What? Led Zeppelin. Def Leppard. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, but, but so we've got a trash talk on on um, on uh, Motley Crue, which is like actually will prompt you to pause and think. Can um, we? For some of you, you've probably been screaming Jerry's message for years, but I digress. I'll okay. save that. I'll save that for tomorrow. Excited. We've got a couple on costs of living. Uh, yeah, but, but, but is anything uh, any uh, burrs under your saddle? You want me pal? to submit anything my first trash talk? Yeah, well, you want to submit a trash talk for tomorrow? <laughs> and he went to lunch without me. I think it would be fun to have John's trash talk every single week. That People might be kind of a fun eat element. Sandwiches without their coworkers. Yeah, it's just so annoying. <laughs> 
People who conduct <laughs> sandwich meetings without their coworkers. Uh, tomorrow, we'll check back in with Sapria Devenny. We're, we're, we're keeping an eye on the other stories that are making the news as well. I, I did want to remind you one more thing. Um, when it comes to, like, you know, I was talking about this truck that I was driving. I'm talking, not was, am driving this 2022 Ram Longhorn. And, and somebody wrote in and they were talking about fuel costs. And they were like, must be nice. The, 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 the particular, the subject line of the email was, isn't it a Hemi? And my response was, damn straight. And it's amazing. And I love it. But it, 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 it it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I sit there at the pump and I'm like, still? You're, you're lucky you live close to the studio. Still? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> still? And it's actually becoming less and less funny. Um <laughs> But I did want to take a second to remind you all that I know that some of you are in my boat where you're going, okay, I'm sort of keeping an eye on the price at the pumps. And, and, and for a lot of others, you know, you're going to go, well, that's not really an option for us. Like we're farming or we're pulling a trailer and we need that Ram power and more power to you. There's no better place to buy your Ram truck than Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. But also... I don't spend enough time talking about the like the Jeep Wrangler 4xe, for example. This is the new electric. It's the EV Jeep Wrangler plus, of course, Chrysler, Jeep, Ram, the whole Mopar lineup at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They can downsize you into a perfect fit as well. Uh, my dad, you know, my grandpa, everybody mm. used to call them four bangers. You know, these yeah. four-cylinder cars. You know, my grandpa in particular, right? He loved driving the big Cadillacs. He'd be like, yeah, of course. Look at that four banger. Now, everybody wants them because they're fuel efficient. The performance is out of this world. If you're taking a look at what you're paying at the pumps and you need a break, trust the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge to find the perfect ride for you. It's a personal journey. They know that, and they can get you sorted. Starting today, you can shop them online or in person. You let them know that Real Talk sent you to Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. All right, we've got a lot to keep an eye on before tomorrow's show. Sapria is going to join us, plus we're putting our Real Talk roundtable together. To be honest with you, it's going to be somewhat news-dependent on what happens over the next 12 hours or so. We welcome your feedback every single day to the show. Thank you to everybody who likes and subscribes to our content. I know we say it a lot, but it means a ton to us. We want to get this show in front of more people. We want these important conversations to land where they need to, across the prairies, across Western Canada, and beyond. When you rate and review our podcast, it means a lot. If you're listening to the pod right now, hit that share button and let your friends know. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.